Greetings everyone, this is Christopher Messina coming at you live from the Messy Time studio, joined as ever by my co-host James Langer. James, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I just, I just, you know, really have been wishing there's a little more to talk about in the news. There's just, we're just running out of things to talk about. It's terrible. That's really what I'm concerned with. So I got nothing today. I don't know. How about you? Is there anything on your mind that's interesting that's come across your desk? Well, there, there, there are a few things, um, interestingly enough. And, and all I can think of is the political system uh, responding to your complaint about nothing to talk about with hold my beer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, actually, there's something bugging me. and it, it, It's come up, interestingly, um, in uh, some of the, the, the actions that, that uh, Trump uh, took during his administration, but it's also, funnily enough, um, uh, something that my, my, my daughter is incredibly concerned about, which is prison reform, and I kind of mm-hmm. wonder whether she thinks I'm going to go to jail for insider trading and wants to make this <laughs> for me. I don't know. Um, but <clears throat> uh, what's been fascinating was there's always been uh, a prison system in our country uh, that has worked or to some degree well or well not. But there are some enormous problems with how the current system works that I think most people would be surprised to find. Right? Right. So there was a great piece done by the Associated Press and I think the Wall Street Journal a few days ago. One of many. People have written about this from the years from many different standpoints. Right. Um, and the thing that just smacked me in the face as a capital markets guy is I assumed that um, if you went to prison, right, that was your punishment. Right. right? You served time. Right. That would seem to right. be your punishment, right? And so when there are things like um, voter laws in Florida and other places, if you're an ex-con, you're not allowed to vote until your sentence is finished. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, I thought that meant when you walked out the door a free man or maybe after you were right. done with your parole, you were able to right. vote. But what has happened in Florida and many other states is that um, uh, they violate what I think uh, is the incredibly sacred rule of gas, grass, or ass, right. which for those who aren't familiar with the phrase, uh, those are road trip rules. Uh, gas, grass, or ass means everybody pays somehow, uh, but you only pay one way. That's right. Good. <laughs> right. So you, you, you have pick three it. choices. So it, three, three choices. You pay. You pay with one. So using that as a guideline, I would assume if you have been in jail, then you've paid with your ass. Um, Hopefully not too roughly. Anyway, uh, but you 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 paid by sitting there with you know that old joke of you know, write a check with your mouth, your ass is going to cash that kind of thing. So <laughs> I assume that if you actually were in jail, right, um, you came out, you have paid your debt. But many of these systems also do things like layer on fines as part of your punishment, or they they, they ask you to pay fees for public defenders, which is insane, right. right? Either the public defender is a public defender or not, but at court costs, right? So. When I started reading this, I looked at some of the case studies were like guys who were in their mid-20s who got out of prison after maybe being sentenced at 19. Right? So they don't have any skills. They have no job experience. They don't have a... They might have a high school diploma. They certainly have a college diploma. Right. Um, and they're $12,000 in debt. Right. Well, for someone in that position, to pay that off legally, that might as well be $700 million. Right, exactly. To pay that off legally. Exactly. So... Well, you maybe get a job paying nine bucks an hour, and you're getting over the hurdle of the number of jobs that people don't want to hire because you're next con to begin right. with. Our entire system is skewed towards making it a rational choice to go back to a life of crime. Right. And that doesn't exactly. work for the ex-con. Right. That doesn't work for society. Right. 
Um, so really, I was I was kind of blown away that the system really is structured really really poorly. Whether it was meant to be that way, or whether it's not, if we want to have a fair justice system that everyone has faith in, we got to fix these these headaches. I mean, what, what do you think of this sort of nonsense? No, I totally agree. I mean, I certainly think that, you know, prison reform is a, is a very, very important topic that we have in the country. Uh, today, I do think that, you know, there is a, a, a certain level of, of criminal that unfairly gets put into prison and, and as you reference comes out and is burdened not only with the time that he spent in prison but also with this massive debt and once again if you are uh, an 18 year old drug dealer that started you know uh, dealing marijuana when you were 14 or, or 15 years old that's essentially the only skill that you know and you can come out and make minimum wage and as you said, from an economic perspective, it's essentially impossible to live if you have this uh, other additional tax based on your punishment. So naturally, what you're going to do is you're going to gravitate towards your skill set as a rational actor in society. You're going to measure that risk against um, the alternative, which is working probably a minimum wage job and paying this debt off for 20 years and take the risk of getting caught and getting thrown back into jail, but you can get your debt paid off quicker and then um, you can return to being a normal member of society. So, you know, I agree with you 100%. I think there are a couple different factors that are kind of exacerbating this problem. Um, the factor number one would be that, you know, approximately 20% of the prisons in the United States are for-profit entities. There are publicly traded prison companies that you can buy that trade on the New York Stock Exchange and you can look and they are driven by creating shareholder value and by maximizing profits, which means that they want criminals to be in the prison. It's 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 not not indifferent from a hotel. The, the more guests that you have and the longer those guests stay, the more profitable your business is. So they're um, going into Congress and lobbying for, for stronger laws across the states and across the country because it makes them more money. They're also acting as rational economic actors. So should we have for-profit prisons um, in the United States? Probably not because there's too many, no, con there's too many conflicts of interest. Um, and there's a major public policy reason for that too, right? So... The, the one of the core tenets that we at Missy Times hold to is we're going to have a level of government expenditure, right? We can all have political debates about how much government should spend, how much government should be in your law, involved in your life, how much it should cost. Mm -hmm. But one thing which I think uh, we've come to a conclusion is incredibly important as a guiding principle that if society decides that it's important to spend money on something, then we have to honestly bear the costs of doing that. So if you think locking people up for 20 years for minor infractions right. is worth doing, then you, as the taxpayer voting for that, are not allowed to skirt that by handing them off to a for-profit entity. Right. So it doesn't actually cost you anything. There's a deeply moral component to this, to, to this idea of for-profit uh, businesses. Right. 
it used to be that the, the, the scourge of the South between before the fifties and sixties, work farms. Right. I've got, exactly. Uh, old, exactly. A, old friend of mine, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Uh, um, I grew up in Illinois, but now he's a Texas state cop, and he does this marvelous, marvelous routine where every year around spring break, he's a big old boy, right? And he's got the mirrored sunglasses yeah. and the hat <laughs> and the whole shtick, and he walks up. He pulls over a college kid's coming down from up north for speeding. And he walks over and he's got like a toothpick in his mouth and he right. moves from side to side and he just stares at them in the car for like 12 seconds before they start to cry. And then he leans in real close, takes their license, doesn't say anything. The first thing he says is, we got something down here called a work farm, boy. <laughs> Can you say work farm? Right. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not doing him justice. That was a pretty good but accent. That point of, of, of that ability... To have someone making money off of people who are incarcerated, that's always been problematic in our society. Right. But it's really awful now that, that we let this innovation occur. Right, right. And we live, you know, the United States is certainly based on kind of this, uh, you know, Puritan society that you can't break any rules. And uh, going back hundreds of years, if you fast forward today, what that's led to is the United States having, you know, the largest number of individuals incarcerated uh, relative to any country in the world. And this is not on a per capita basis. This is on an absolute basis. So what does that mean? Other countries um, don't have the same number of criminals that we do in the United States. No, it means there's a problem, once again, with um, the legal system and uh, causing the people that shouldn't be put into prison, put into prison. And, the, and these are due to very complex rules that go across states, counties, and cities, and different judges. And, and once again, I believe that everybody is acting in um, an economic fashion that benefits them. So something needs to be done to reverse the economic incentive to incarcerate individuals and ha have oh, an incentive absolutely. for them, not for these individuals not to be incarcerated. And the other, once again, we have talked about being, you know, significant supporters of the federal system. But, you know, they just passed a measure in Portland, Oregon, um, where you could have a, a small amount of hard drugs, cocaine, heroin, um, marijuana, and, and it's a misdemeanor. But if you go across the border into Montana, for example, and you have a small amount of cocaine on you, you're probably going to do, you know, three to five years in prison, depending on what your prior history is. So you could be on one side of the border or another in a state, and the penalties are, are massively, massively different. And but you also highlight something right there, that, that when, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, we decided that, that, that our punishment metric was time in a box. Right. All of a sudden, everything becomes relative to how many months or years you should spend in jail for a crime. Right. Whereas many things that are not violent in nature, is society really served by spending all this time exactly. putting you in a box away from others? Um, in some instances, absolutely. But for, predominantly for nonviolent stuff, um, it absolutely makes no sense at all. One, I, I had a, a, a sergeant in New York tell me this somewhat hilarious story, but... Um, but it highlights the absurdity of our system, right? You've got so many laws 
that most people going about their day break at least five or six a day with that meeting. <laughs> right. Those of us who are more proactive about our lives easily hit a dozen by lunch. Um, <laughs> but but his his point was he was he was it was in Brooklyn, right? It was like some family beef, summertime right. tempers flare. Right. You know, some guy hits his girlfriend there in their early twenties. Um, she in in retribution, her family like storms over to his family's house and like goes in the door to like take a smack at her mother, right. who like hits someone with a rolling pin. Like the whole thing was like a ridiculous. Right. Like people get injured, people went to the hospital. Right. But the cop's point was, if you did this by the book and you charged everyone with every law right. broken right. in that ten minute period. I got a string of B and E's. I got a trespassing. I got an assault with intent for bodily harm. Arguably, I got an attempted murder because the the sister was nuts. Right. Like, I've got this whole slew of charges yes. for like twelve people in ten minutes. And, but if I, but but really, is it's just a bunch of knuckleheads blowing off steam, right? Exactly. So, if I brought this to the DA, the DA would tell me to screw myself for wasting her time. Right, exactly. So, and I've thought about this too, relative to other countries. You know, I'll, I'll give you two countries where there are not many people in prison for minor drug offenses. One of them is um, uh, um, the United Arab Emirates, okay? And another one is the Netherlands. And there are not very many people in there, but they take very different approaches to petty drug offenses. If you're in Amsterdam um, and you have a little bit of drugs on you, you're fine. Go off and do your business. If you're um, in the in the UAE and you have drugs on you, you could possibly get executed. So right. both both systems work. The problem the yes. problem is we're in the middle. So and, and and it's important to remember where you are, kids. Is the lesson from today's geography story. <laughs> uh, one thing I've thought always thought about in the United States is there's no way you can really fix the drug problem from the supply side because if you're stopping drugs to coming in from this country and, and we've spent. Tens of Brilliant. billions of Boils. dollars preventing Boils. drugs coming into this country over you know the last 20 years since Reagan declared the war on drugs. Guess what's happened to the price of cocaine over that period of time? It's Nothing. Inflation adjusted. Nothing. <laughs> it's, it's actually gone down inflation adjusted. And I just watched a documentary on Netflix. This isn't from personal experience. But anyway, let's say that the United States is successful at cutting down the supply of cocaine. Uh, to use that as an example, what happens is the price rises and that creates um, an incentive for more people to, to enter into the marketplace. Because the mar you once again, you assess the risk of entering uh, a certain profession with what the return is. And when you cut back the supply, you're creating a higher incentive on a risk adjusted basis to enter the market. So what that does is that once again, brings the uh, supply back up. So you're back to kind of where you started, assuming that the penalties don't change um, for cocaine usage on once having it on a small scale on you. And so, you know, I strongly so believe you have to go you're one. You're telling me that Colum Colombian cartels are basically arbitrageurs. Exactly. Well, that's good for them. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but once again, if you take that and you take it back to the source of the supply, 
if you are a Colombian farmer and you have a cartel member come up to you and say, I'm going to uh, triple your salary if you don't plant um, coffee and you plant coca leaves instead, or option number two is I'm going to kill your family. You know, what, as a rational economic actor, which decision do that's you right. make there? And that's what S starts silver or lead. Right, exactly. The world that's is full what of starts the lead. snowball going down the hill. But and it, it's important. I think we there are huge numbers of, uh, uh, of of issues and factors that go into the drug trade. I want to bring us right back though to what happens to someone who's coming out of jail, whether they went to jail for drug dealing or petty theft or carjacking. I mean, people who went to jail for rape, as far as I'm concerned, should be executed. So that should yes, be an easy absolutely. But for those who've been convicted of nonviolent offenses, or frankly, violent offenses against people who had it coming, so there's, there's, right. there's a lot right. of that, exactly. right? Um, uh, but when they get out, I mean, this whole problem of, of burdening them with the, this debt that makes it impossible, um, and it re I reminded when I, was, when I was reading this article about these guys who are having a troubling time getting bank accounts, you can't get a bank account, right? right? Like your ex-con, you don't income, all that stuff. Um, so to integrate these people back into society, um, you need to give them a chance. And yeah. I remember this. When I was, early years, I was uh, forced to sit through some insane risk training uh, relating to HR practices at one of the, the major bank I worked with, uh, worked at. And I remember this HR consultant sitting up there talking about warning signs of people that you shouldn't hire. Right. Right. And one of the things she's talking about was, well, if you find someone who's got... Um, uh, a mediocre credit score. Who's an excellent applicant, right. but has a mediocre credit score and high credit, high levels of credit card debt. You shouldn't hire right. them because they might be likely to steal. And I remember, I remember putting my hand up and yelling then, like, "What are you talking about? I mean, this isn't. It's like that guy who broke into the into the World Bank because that's where all the money right. was. Like, there's no money there right. unless the job is as a teller at a bank." Right. Maybe that makes sense, but even then, who's stupid enough to take the money out of the till? They count it, right? So, I was listening to this idiot with this comfy job, and all I'm thinking is, for all you know, this applicant had terrible health insurance right. for someone in her family and put down her visa card at the ER room at Mount Sinai so her kid would get fucking treatment right. for three weeks, and now she's eighty grand in debt, right. and now she wants a job. And you're not going to hire her because she's got... I, I remember thinking that, like, this isn't... You're checking for legal infractions. Right. You're literally saying someone applying for a high-paying job relatively as a temp, right, shouldn't be hired because they're working to pay off their debt. And I thought, exactly. what kind of mind thought of that? Right. No, no, it's insane. And that's not it's even insane. a criminal. That was just someone who owed money. Right, exactly. Well, if you want to take this once again a, a step further... Um, and and this, this would sound ridiculous, but from an economics perspective, it, it would actually make sense. If you take a petty criminal that you have to pay $50,000 a year as U.S. taxpayers, if you're, you're in a non-publicly traded for-profit prison. <laughs> if you're not in the for-profit. You can tell that individual, mill. I will give you $40,000. You can sit at home and you do nothing. You just can't get any in any trouble. Chances are right. that individual will say yes. Or you could take it a step further and say, I will give you $40,000 a year to do something productive in society. For a, for a job, and to make right? something or to produce something or to provide a service to somebody. Yep. You know, that, that's an arbitrage situation right there. 
that yep. once again it, it sounds ridiculous but the United States would come out ahead financially. We would save $10,000 across, you know, a million uh, prisoners, for example. That adds up very quickly. And you'd have cleaner streets. And exactly. You'd have, you'd have fewer, fewer potholes. Right. No, it's, it's, it's actually, it's really true. And it's one of the baffling things about how our system fails to function is that if you, if you, I always love this about the drug laws. If, if you could wave, wave a magic wand and stand in, in both houses of Congress at once and say the president's standing there with a pen to sign this, and here's, here's, the, here's what we're giving to you, all the lovely Congress people and senators. Assume, if you will, in some magic way, that, if you, that right now, starting in an hour, we are going to, in this right. country, perfectly enforce the drug laws. <laughs> Don't ask right. how, but what it means is that everyone who does drugs, has drugs, or sells drugs will be caught and right. punished under the standing statutes. Don't ask me how. It's a, right. it's a thought experiment, right? Whether it's omnipresent cameras in your phone, whatever. Yep. But let's say we will know for a certainty who's guilty, right. who's holding, who's stoned, and they're going to prison under the current laws. They would instantly pass a bill that they would send to the Senate who would instantly pass it. So it would be... <laughs> 435 to 0 right. and 100 to 0 to yep. remove all drug laws because yep, half of them exactly would be right. going to jail and the rest of them, their families would be going to jail, right? So you've got this hypocrisy where they know that the current system is biased, whether it's biased against poor versus right. rich kids, whether it's biased against um, certain ethnicities or not. We know there's bias in the system. We know that poor kids go to jail for the same thing rich kids do before, ha ha, they go to college and then law school, and that sort of inequity right. is and, corrosive and in we're this society. Turning the corner, we have with, to fix um, liberalizing uh, drug laws in the in in the country, and we can take experimental data from country, um, excuse me, states that have decided to legalize marijuana, for example, and see what impact that has on crime, what impact that has on um, alcohol abuse, harder drug abuse, and extract that and decide if it works for a larger population. And, you know, from all of the, the data that I've looked at, crime doesn't increase. In fact, it decreases. Alcohol usage decreases. Um, even domestic violence actually decreases in these country, in these uh, states that have um, uh, recreational marijuana. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we saw Let's three or four states the pass <laughs> recreational law just in the past, uh, or recreational marijuana laws in, the, in um, uh, the last election that we had a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we might be moving in the right direction, but I think we're, we're in agreement that uh, this prison system is, is broken. Um, prison reform doesn't exist. It doesn't work properly. And it's something that you know, nobody really talks about, but it's a very important topic. Uh, to address in the United States right now. Absolutely. With that, we will urge our listeners. Um, we just found out that 145 million people voted in the last election, so clearly people are interested in civic issues. Yep. Get involved. This is a state Absolutely. local issue. Get involved. Yep. You, you you speak up at your town council. You speak up and uh, uh, learn you know what the laws are here in state, and 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 you know you can pester your Congress people and. Pest your senators, and uh, they, they have to listen when, when large numbers of people do, yeah. because the injustice of this, too, too often, sadly, um, 
the major proponents of major prison reform are those people who are most impacted, right? And most people are predominantly generally good folks, but they're living their lives. The world is really complicated yes. enough. And what am I going to do? How am I going to change right. that? But you, you got to find out what's happening in your own community. You got to speak up when you think that these laws don't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and it saves you money and, you know, at the end of the day. You'll ta- your taxes will go down. Yeah, never mind. Beyond the fact that the funding tax is going down, very rarely do you have a legitimate reason to say to a U.S. senator, Senator, this is gas, grass, or ass, and we really got to act <laughs> right, on it. Right, exactly. Uh, we should make those T-shirts. I'm sure they have them, but anyway, I love it. So uh, with that. Very good. Once again, uh, we're d- delighted to have you guys here as our listeners. We're building our audience dramatically, so get on the train while it's still moving quickly. Turn off the news and turn on Messy Time. Thanks.